0: Welcome to The Link. I'm your host, Sharp O'Shart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Here we go, everybody. Hello, hello. And before we start, we are going to just talk a bit about disclosures regarding financial disclosures. Jennifer Gray receives consulting fees, lecture honorarium from LSVT Global Inc. LSVT Loud for Kids and I know she does other presentations there and she also receives compensation for continuing education presentations through speechtherapypd.com. I also receive an honorarium for the speech link and I too am a presenter for speechtherapypd.com and receive royalty payments. And I own Speech Dynamics regarding non-financial disclosures. Neither Jennifer nor I have any non-financial disclosures to report. So there we go. All right. Welcome. Welcome to our live SpeechLink podcast, sponsored, of course, by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm Shar Beauchart, your speech-language pathologist host, and I'm glad that you're here for our practical presenter and practical topic And I love everything that she does. So it's called Speech Clarity Strategies for Those with Down Syndrome when AAC is recommended. And you are welcome to participate. Type your question or your comment into the chat and one of us will read it and Jennifer will respond. Jennifer Gray, MSCCC SLP. Earned both her bachelor's and master's degrees in speech-language pathology from Northern Arizona University, and then studied for two years post-grad, which is a long time, at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. She's taught speech and fluency at the undergraduate level and speaks at local, state, and national conventions. In addition, she has written a variety of articles about speech production. I'm actually waiting for the book to come out, Jennifer, just so you know. You. She, she knows enough, I'm telling you. She has over 20 years of experience working in universities, public schools, private practice, and early intervention settings, treating speech, language, and feeding delays and disorders. Now, in the last 12 years or so, she's specialized in communication and feeding for those with intellectual disabilities and motor speech disorders, especially in those with Down syndrome. And she practices in the Denver area at Gray's Peak speech services and therefore specializes in childhood communication, speech, motor planning, and feeding disorders. She trains families, caretakers, therapists, and educators. Her passion is to continue to seek and innovate evidence based practices to ensure functional outcomes for educational, social, and independent living success. Good goal. Today is an absolute treat, Jennifer. And this is your third appearance cool. on the speech link. <laughs> I it I don't is. think I've ever had anybody for a third time, honestly. Oh, I, really? just, I, I have absolutely learned. I'm totally serious. And I love working with children with Down syndrome. But I've learned so much from you. Your podcasts are so very popular and really practical. And I just had to have you back for more information. So welcome. Welcome Thank back you. to the speech link.
1: Thank you very much. I love doing this. I love oh, being able to just kind of talk freely and hopefully help some people who have p- kids with Down syndrome on their caseloads, but you know, remain just a bit confused what to do Yeah, on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. They, they can be, yeah. Kids with Down syndrome can, can be challenging and kids. And, and a lot of times I've worked with teens and it can be, it can be challenging and they're all different. I mean, they're all unique. Just like, all the cases that we see. But let us begin. And I'd like you to for us to lay a foundation with some developmental information that's pretty well determined in our field. So tell me what we know, <laughs> okay, what you know, what we all know about, well, maybe not what all of us know, but what you know about the developmental link between speech practice and the use and the frequency of using speech and language use and development. There's a link there. Yes,
1: there is a link.
0: And it's getting,
1: thankfully, a little bit clearer when we look at some of the research that's coming out in the UK. Um, Not as much here yet, but we do have a very limited amount of information about speech and those with Down syndrome at any age. Right now, we're actually probably looking at a really, really large gap in our teens and adults. And we can talk about that later. But in terms of what we do know, I think it's still a lot less than what we want to know. So what that, what happens there is that it leaves us with all sorts of questions that we don't have answers for yet. And it also leads therapists to kind of out there by themselves, to sort of figure it out, because there's not a lot of places to go, which is why I've continued to do a lot of speaking events, because there aren't a lot of options out there to learn at least quickly. Right. And that's why the podcasts are, are wonderful because you can listen to it in the car. You can do sure. you know, in one hour. You can come away with, if I do my job, right. Come away with something to try tomorrow or just a different perspective on those kids on your caseload. And they are really different between every child is different. And I feel it's weird that we have to keep saying that, but We also know that there's also some consistent phenotypes in Down syndrome that we can prepare for, that we can know are there, so we can actually walk in going, okay, this is probably going to be present, this is probably going to be present, what do I do with those, can I get over it? So for example, in schools, the common one is behavior, right? Because there are some behaviors (laughs) in this group that really are different from other kids' even with other kids with different disabilities, such as autism, but we don't always know that. We kind of kind of lump them all together. Okay, here's a kid who has difficulty with speech clarity. He's a kid that really has some strange behaviors and learning is just harder, but we don't always know why. And so what do we do? We apply the speech and language techniques that we use with every other child, maybe a child who even just has a delay, and we are using the exact same techniques for people with Down syndrome. And we're seeing that change in motor speech disorders and apraxia of childhood, apraxia of speech You know That's fairly new on the scene. If you're older like me, before it was a thing, I didn't learn anything about that in school because it wasn't a label yet. And autism, and we've watched those two two things grow leaps and bounds in the last 20 years, but we really haven't seen the same thing for people with Down syndrome. And so what we all assume and what we all sort of know from our contact with people with Down syndrome is that speech clarity is hard. It it kind of lasts. And we aren't great yet at fixing that. And so a lot of what we've been doing recently is kind of stepping away from that speech issue because we're not very good at it and looking more at language and building up language And even using other forms of communication, such as alternative non minded communication, which we all use every day with every child. But I think in this population specifically, we've kind of said, you know what? I don't know what to do about speech. So I'm just gonna leave it over there. And then in some of my recent more readings about what's what is speech supposed to be in a perfect world, and what happens if we don't follow that linear progression the way that we're supposed to so people with down syndrome as far as we know follow the same trajectory of development so they are the the speech and language development is going to be the same for a child with down syndrome as a child who does not have down syndrome so they're going to follow the same path they don't hop around and have many splinter skills they can but there's reasons for that but it's just slower it's almost too slow right? And when it's too slow, we feel like we need to get another form of communication there so that our kids can communicate, even though the speech isn't there yet, which, right? It's brilliant. It makes perfect sense. And we are supposed to do that. But what happens in the meantime, what happens to (laughs) speech? Does it get better like it would in a typical child if we just enrich their environment? No. And so this is, I think, where therapists don't have the information if you don't work on speech speech won't improve neither will language because it's difficult but we also have to know what that behavior piece and I'll let you ask another question but <laughs> the biggest things too I think what we what we assume is it is just going to come it's just going to develop if we enrich the environment we enrich the language we give all these other things it'll it'll get there well it doesn't in fact, if we, if we do get to a point where we're really excited about it and we leave it <clears throat> to go on to other things, it can regress. Even in childhood, without anything happening, without an insult, without a major upheaval, is speech needs to be a consistent <laughs> practice throughout the lifespan. And this mm-hmm. became really evident to me in the last five years working with teens and adults. Mm-hmm. They regress if they're not pushed to keep practicing and there are a lot of reasons for that and I can go into some of those but basically if we know these key elements specific to Down syndrome, I think we can make better choices and know where kind of the landmines are so we can what to target because there's so many things to target in mm-hmm. one person with one therapist so maybe that's one of the things we need to look at is more than one therapist more than one setting for speech to develop the way that it would for a typical child. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. When I asked you that question, I was thinking about what you wrote me, that research is clear that speech use drives language. Speech use drives language through phonological memory and motor planning. So speaking not only enhances the clarity and probably the fluency and, and a few other things, but also gives that language an opportunity to develop as well. So yeah. focusing on speech and clarity and just the use of and the interactive portion of you know speech use during communication can help a myriad of things, or at least that's what I'm reading into it. And I don't know of anybody that would disagree with that, that, hey, language improves as you talk, (laughs) okay? And talking is speech. (laughs) So there you go. Okay. Uh, Yes. So I have a slide that I'm going to sort of read
1: that I use in one of my, or in several of the the presentations I've done recently. And I made the slide when I was listening to Sue Buckley, who is a psychologist out of the UK, And really, her work is what really has spurred my work, and I can share those with you so that you can have access to her work. It's all on the Mm -hmm. internet, which is nice, but
0: there was... And what was the name of the person? Buckley? Sue Buckley is her name. Sue Buckley.
1: Okay. And she has the Down Syndrome Education International, or DSE.org. There's a UK version and and a US version if you're going to purchase things or... But she has all the research, almost all the research that we have on those with Down syndrome. And then she even has ways of kind of chunking them out so you can get some you know, faster reads about these different topics. And she has a see and learn program for literacy, which I use. And she's the one that really got me using literacy as AAC. We can talk about that too. But her work okay. really is probably the most cutting edge. And then those that she's working with. And so there was a UK, not UK, I always get this wrong, but it's an association throughout Europe. And Mm. they had a conference this last year. And I think it was the first time it was live on the computers and it was streamed so people outside of those countries could have access to it. Yeah. Another, you know, COVID (laughs) upside. Before you would have had to (laughs) to Scotland, right? That's right. And so I got to listen to all these kind of the newer research. And basically what she kind of laid out was output matters. So speech yes. output is that's yes. how she put it. And it just yes. I, All the, you know, the blinking lights in my head went off and I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. I know that, but I don't know that because we're not saying it the same way. Even, you know, mm-hmm. even though we're all speaking the same language, speech output matters, speech output yes. determines what you're going to be able to understand and use and I hadn't heard it put that it's,
0: way. Yeah, it's a huge piece. I mean, you think of, of input and output, but that output is so critically important right. for for the repetition and the yes. use. And then also it it engenders connecting with the with another person. And then you get that exchange. Yes. Yeah. It's critically important. Yes. Yeah. Well so should be laid
1: out. Yeah. And so she laid these these out. We're looking at typical development. So there's also kind of that, gosh, do we look to typical development when we're looking at children with Down syndrome? Well, we have to right now because we don't sure. have we don't have it yet. It's coming. Yeah.
0: Well, and I and I, you know, as soon as you figure it out, some kids gonna come along and yeah. blow that to smithereens because but everyone is unique, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, it's hard to nail all that stuff down. So you just sort of have this wide wide swath rather than just narrow developmental, you know, information. Yeah. And I can
1: read this quick slide. Just I have to read it still because it still kind of blows my mind. And
0: and I appreciate you doing this because there are going to be a lot of people just listening to this podcast. Right now we have the visual piece, but yeah, lay it on us.
1: And I will put this in a handout for people. I mean, I've said it before in other courses too, but Speech perception is linked to motor production by three months of age. Wow! Speech perception, and I see, I still have to repeat it. Speech perception, yeah, yeah. is linked to motor production by three months of age. So what we're used to doing is we say what we hear, right? We say what we hear. We say what we hear. Always check hearing. Well, this is not that. This is saying that speech perception, my hearing, your speech, is linked to my ability to also say what you're saying and sure. three months of age. And the yeah. reason that really hit me the first time was early intervention is my other passion. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we tend to get kids with Down syndrome around two or three years of age after speech doesn't show up.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: And they have PT, they have OT, because we know that movement is important, right? So we have, they in there first, but we aren't. And so I kind of became passionate about that 10 years ago saying, this is silly. I could have prevented some of these things in this child in front of me, but now we're having to undo bad habits already because another piece of research kind of points out that they kids with Down syndrome learn differently and they have this kind of aversion to learning easily. It's another phenotype, and there's, you know, I don't want to go too far into
0: it. Interesting.
1: <laughs> they come up with adaptive ways of communication. So if you've ever met someone with Down Syndrome, especially the little ones, they're crafty. They're smart. They are, aren't they? You you rarely don't know they're what they so they're funny. Like. Yeah. It's they true. It's true. It's absolutely true. Great yeah. Communicators, great. Yeah, yeah. Until they need to talk or until they need yeah. to perform. And then it all is just kind of like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. So that's one of the things we have to know. Mm-hmm. But this one is saying, gosh, we need to get in there early because this is actually going to help language. So then she goes on to say that suggesting early intervention prior to six months of age, that's a fun one right now, <laughs> because we're kind of going to that one provider model. Um, and so that can be kind of tricky depending on where you are, if you're in EI. And that speech sound production at six to six to eight months of age predicts first words, So speech sound production at six to eight months of age predicts first words. A lot of our six to eight month olds are somewhat silent, or they're still kind of doing that pre-canonical babble, because we know that that development is slow, right? Mm -hmm. And then by 11 months of age, production of consonants and canonical babble predict phonological memory. And this is the one where I was like, yep. That's it. So what is that? Verbal short-term memory and speech accuracy over time. So by one year of age, what they're saying is actually gonna determine how they use language based on memory. So we tend to think of language as concepts, but it's also memory in terms of I have to string these sounds sure. together and these words together. Connections to make sure right. Yeah. Well, that's really hard for these kids, and most yeah. of them by eleven to twelve months, they're not there yet. <clears throat> but because we want to get them as close as we can to typical development, we start to push. We start to push that language piece, despite the fact that speech is still kind of far away. Even so, we're talking, you know, twelve months and under for a population that doesn't do much by <laughs> twelve months of age. But that's not the only thing. Then we have to kind of look at what is it that makes speech hard. It's not just the intellectual disability we tend to think of with Down syndrome. It's dysarthria. It's anatomy. It's voice and resonance in very different ways of learning. And so kind of all together, this is a very interesting place with the research to go, okay, this is what we know. This is what we're doing and what we want. What maybe are we not doing well? Why do we still have eight-year-olds that have completely not clear speech? Yeah,
0: they didn't why are catch the goals, up at all.
1: No. yeah, And why are my goals for my two-year-old the same as my 13-year-old? And that's very common. And I think the answer is because we forgot to practice. <laughs> we forgot to over-practice, which is what this group needs which every yeah. child with motor speech disorders needs yeah. is yeah. physical motor practice, a lot of it. The and so what output.
0: I t- <laughs> Yes, yes, the, right, the output. output. Yeah,
1: there you go. And then what is it like 10%? And I, I have this, I'll put it in the handout, but I have it right in front of me. We have only about 10% people with Down syndrome, I have to find the age again, are only using about 10% of what they should be using by that age. And they're also not receiving the amount of therapy to get them there. So when we we look at what should happen, what we want to happen and what is happening, we really start to have to look at this word called dosage. If we know that extreme practice is what we need to do, and we do know that from motor speech literature, and more and more is coming out there, right? So more frequent sessions, three to five sessions, shorter amounts of time, 20 to 30 minutes, sometimes some say 15 to 20 minutes three to five times a week. That's what we're looking at for just motor speech. And then for those with Down syndrome, it's even more because we have a lot of other things going on at once. We have multiple speech disorders all at the same time. We have articulation, we have phonology, we have motor planning. We have voice and resonance. All of these things are happening. And we have hearing issues Mm -hmm. and vision issues. Respiratory issues. Respiratory issues. (laughs) Attention issues. Yeah,
0: can we even attend executive function? Yeah, all of those. Oh, you name it, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And so this is—it's a scary kind of snowball (laughs) that can keep getting bigger if we keep leaving things out. So how how can we, as therapists, fairly help a child? Because if I just stop talking right now, you would feel, or at least I would feel. Like great, nothing is just worthless. It's pointless. We we really should just kind of not even treat them, right? If I if I can't do that, what am I supposed to do? And so we don't have good answers for that because we don't have good research, but we do have opinions and hopefully educational opinions as to what we can do.
0: Yeah. And you have experience. Yes. I mean, there's something to be said for that. (laughs) You know? I hope so. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Yes. We're looking at lots of use, lots of productions, lots of output. And yet, sometimes alternative means of communication are used, correct? Sometimes, not all the times. I like to think that speech language pathologists look at their alternatives. You know, what is an alternative and what is best? for that person, what is best. Okay. Right. But what are the alternatives? I mean, you know, I talk about old, I'm really old. <laughs> okay. And I remember going through the, the whole phase where sign language was huge, but then we were doing sign language. It was kind of a, kind of a, kind of a total communication thing where we're doing sign language, but we're also getting that verbal output as well. And I'm, you know, I'm sort of not in that loop right now. I hope that we're still focusing on that. Perhaps I don't know, but I know that there's other things that are going on. What are the options out there for kids with Down syndrome as far as treatment?
1: So obviously we have early intervention and then we start looking into the schools, right? And so that, that typical suggestion is to go through early intervention and get your speech there and then turn three and then get preschool. And you get kind of a supplemental therapies that go in there. Well, in those settings, your options are pretty limited in terms of what you can do, because you're kind of being told what to do based on IEPs, IFSPs, right? And so everything Mm -hmm. has to be natural, or it has to be academically relevant as they start to get older. And so I'm purposely not in the school system for those reasons. Because I, I, and I chose private practice after being in the schools, because I knew I could do some things that I knew would actually help speech, side so of what I it's had to
0: prove pretty, for sad. pretty sad, pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, but, we but do I use I,
1: all of those things, right? We use sign language, we okay. Pictures; those are all. Okay. We, you know, we have to start there. It works really well. It gets kids communicating. The research says that they won't, it doesn't impede communication. Okay. Um, it can if you're not actually training the speech along with the sign language, but that's extremely rare. But now we have kind of a newer situation going on where, okay, we start with that typical progression of, you know, sounds and encouraging sounds and enriching the environment and using sign language. And then we might use pictures and then we might use more than one picture. We start to try to get more syllables at a time and more words at a time. But with this specific population, it doesn't happen as quickly as we want it to, for all the reasons I already said. And so we are also starting to use that those higher forms of AAC. So, you know, the hierarchy of AAC starting with sign language, pictures, words, reading, combinations of all those things, low tech. So your, you know, your buttons or your low-tech devices, iPads. Okay. show talks, those things. And then, you know, that, that final step being a speech generating device. And so we're seeing all of these things being used, which is wonderful, but we have to remember, okay, how much time are we supposed to be spending on speech output to be able to learn and use language later? And how long is it going to take us to also teach and use these other forms of AAC? And so I think therapists kind of get duck because all of a sudden they don't have the time to do both not well and so they just do what they can do for this person and we aren't able to really do it the way we're supposed to do it according to or the, the way that, so
0: that would be best for the work. child
1: right yeah so okay if okay if we're limited if we have 80 kids in our caseload in in schools we're going to sure. try to learn as much as we can but we're also going to know that that AAC is probably what we should be doing because that's what most of us are talking about right now. And that's where a lot of the research is Mm. right now. The AAC Mm. works. It helps children get to communicate easier and faster and sooner. And then, you know, all of the things that kind of spin from there. But what we do forget is the length of time it takes to get to that point. And then, the amount of time it takes to make sure that everyone is trained the exact same way so that that device can be useful. That's where it falls apart.
0: Okay. Um, So, you know, because I am not in that loop right now, I am not as up on the devices and what they do or what what the form of output is, what the child has to do in order to generate that communication output what types of devices are you talking are you talking about something on you know a handheld device or you know what are you talking about and and you're saying that is it's speech generated so that it it is talking for the child is that what you're I mean what what does this look like and sound like maybe everybody knows but I don't
1: <laughs> I don't know and, I, and I'm not the best one to ask so I I have not Oh, well, come on, girl. You um, know more educated. than I do. I've got us educated on the specific devices and what they do exactly and how to match them to students. It's actually okay. really interesting and amazing what sure. they have developed. I mean, it's changing it all all the time. And it's definitely worth trialing and using, but only if we can give equal time speech development and that's where it falls apart and so some of the devices they can start you know like the big Mac buttons right that's kind of old school but we can do that so I push something it does something and I'm making that connection between having you know what I have to say gets me something or is now interactive and then we got our like iPads pro for iPads and many of you listening probably you're going to kind of laugh at the simplicity in which I'm kind of describing this but All the way up to either pictures or symbols representing speech in very sophisticated forms, as as broad and complex as you can imagine it. And so these work extremely well for those who cannot access speech. But what's happened with Down syndrome generally is that these children do have speech. They can access speech. It's difficult. There's behavioral issues at the same time, which really aren't behavioral issues. But there's a lot of things that are stopping speech production from being the choice. And so now we're kind of going straight to and forgetting some of the lower tech and going to some of the higher tech devices really quickly. And what I've seen in my practice is that takes a long time because we have to trial all of these earlier ways of doing things. And then we have to trial for insurance purposes, I think at least three different devices, and then we have to order them and then we have to wait. And so in some of the more recent ones that I've been involved in is we're looking at almost nine to 12 months between yes we're going to do this to okay here's what we're going to get and unfortunately i've watched those months have either have very little to no speech therapies really kind of we're all just kind of waiting to start when we get this device that's going to make everything easier but they are so complex now you can't just i can't just give you one and you know what to do with it there's an extreme amount of training required for the SLP, for the student, for the two together, for teachers, for friends, for family members, for functional use in in the communities. And so it's a lot of time to make this really work. Yeah. And what I've seen on the parent side of things in private practice is that it doesn't really get very far because of all the reasons why it won't. It isn't easy to use functionally. So, batteries. what
0: do you mean? It doesn't get very far. It, it's not the train, at home yes, or
1: kind of the 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 diligence that we need for really good use uh, of an easy system.
0: Okay, it has to
1: be consistent.
0: Okay, the control cost- to manipulate it and yes. use it. Okay, and everyone right. using
1: it the same way, right? So we
0: have teachers that okay. need to use it in the classroom, and we talk about these. And you
1: go to those those lectures, and it makes beautiful sense. Implementing it, however, is kind of tough, right? So we have therapists in the schools, but how often do you even have the same therapist from one year to the next? And so keeping everybody up to date on how the child is using this while teaching the child to use it. And all of us being on board saying the parent needs to learn it, they need to, you know, take this training or this training. They're generally heavy. They have to be charged the, there's all these levels where children yeah. don't want to use them or can't use them quickly. So if I'm in the middle of a tantrum, mm-hmm. how likely is it that that device will get there and actually fix anything? <laughs> because we yeah. have to remember too, well, that you know. short-term memory is an issue for this group too. And so socially having a group of teenagers stop talking to each other so that we can get the device ready to be able to use it as well. Pretty poor example, but there's all okay. these little tiny areas that can go wrong. Yeah, but and but often, I, but they're big. I would say, but
0: they're big. I mean, you have listed significant yes. things. Now, you know, I'm thinking about being a parent of a child with Down syndrome, or maybe just I have Down syndrome. I'm I'm the kid, and I mean, it is. There's so many variables here, and we're just trying to communicate,
1: <laughs> you know? Right. And I yeah, think they're get useful in, in class, in school to access language. I think they're very useful. There's ways that they okay. can kind of put ideas together. They're okay. useful. But for really trying to make a communication lifestyle, mm-hmm. it's hard for that type of communication to be what is the default or what is the primary communication.
0: Okay, because all right.
1: we always have our voice.
0: <laughs> That's yeah, always it's there. always with us. Yeah. And yeah. if you've ever noticed
1: with kids with Down syndrome, if they, they keep talking, they continue to use speech, even when others don't understand them. Over time, they continue to use speech, even though they're not successful. So, if we have a device and we're using it and it's not very functional or adaptive to all situations, what happens when it's not there? Well, we must make sure that that speech practice was just as rigorous as the AAC practice so that we are actually preparing them for success in the future. Right,
0: Right. And that's where
1: we're falling apart.
0: Okay. And you started this section by saying that there is research that says that the devices are successful and that they are the sort of go-to method of communication with kids with Down syndrome. So, but everything that you have listed makes total sense to me because these are things in the real world, not a lab.
1: Right. And research we have to remember is... If you read them and you can read controlled. the beginning of the research, right? We like to go to the end. I still like going to the I end. Know. I know. <laughs> but yeah. they're chosen to be in these studies because they fit exactly. We may not have concomitant disorders. They may not have health issues. They may not have severe hearing issues. Yeah, they're they try to variable it out. Right. Sure. And so, and it's highly controlled. So parents are there. Everybody's be. it's this beautiful wonderful Disneyland effect where it is working in, in, if we could, if we could do this and we could do it like this, yes, it would work great. But there, I think if they're Mm calling it the research clinical gap between Mm -hmm. what the research says and how we're able to make it successful clinically, there's a huge gap there and a mismatch. And we aren't told that piece. And so if we're going in and we think we're doing exactly what we should be doing, because that's what the research says. Well, what happens when it didn't go according to the way the research did it? Yeah. Yeah. What do we do then? For a child who has the ability to speak. Now I'm not talking about severe, severe cases where that's not going to be the case or who can disorders such as CP, but yes. In general, we have a voice and now we have some really Interesting early research and early language development that tells us we really need to make sure that we are talking and developing speech, not even just speech clarity, but using speech for language. And what happens if we don't do that? Is that one of the reasons why we still have teenagers who are extremely unintelligible, or we don't even know what to do at that point in terms of other? Yeah. other ways of speaking, and those are now kind of here. And some of the other things that I've talked about in you yeah. know, previous podcasts or other courses is there are some other options, mm-hmm. and there are ways to work on that speech so that we aren't just left with one option that is AAC.
0: Mm-hmm. makes all kinds of sense. I totally understand the controls in the lab and how it can Work and be beneficial for all concerned. And yet, I think of real life from the family, the parents' perspective, from the child's perspective, from school, just from interacting with their friends, who they're around. You know, maybe they're the only person in the classroom that has one of these devices, sort of separates them from other children. And I think of all of that and it makes total sense what you're saying. As far as we don't want to bypass the opportunity for them to learn to communicate with their speech. And I hate to see that we bypass that opportunity. I call it kind of the, you know, the speech boat, you know, and after a certain age, and we all know what that age is, you know, right around seven, maybe pushing it to eight, the speech boat sails. Yeah. I mean, really, it gets you know, that. yeah, yeah. And so I really hate to not just... Okay, let's just say and make a pact that the first seven years, we're going to focus on that speech. And from my perspective, I focus on building the capability to produce speech. I call it capability-based methods that I like to use. I like that. Rather than, oh, let's just pound on that S or the S-H or see if we can't differentiate between the two and just really focus on the capability and the underlying components that are part of speech production that a person has to have and be able to do to really formulate and connect speech sounds. I mean, one of them being is the the stabilization piece. It's Mm -hmm. huge, huge. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things that go into it. But I love it that you are focusing on what matters to the children and to the parents and to reality and their day-to-day interactions with other people. And speaking with you prior, it sounds like we're not heading that direction, that we're kind of heading toward the devices and they're there and they're easy. But I'm going to say it may not be what's best for the child.
1: Right and and then, and then they're easy for the SLP to have because it kind of gives them the knowledge of what to do here oh, okay i can just work on this right. we can use this device and that's what we're going to do in our sessions and it makes everything smoother for me and one of the things that we have to improve is the research piece but also what how do we supposed to how are we supposed to improve speech clarity for for people with down syndrome because like you said the articulation is not enough that's not even usually the problem It's Mm -hmm. this kind of ball, this snowball in my brain that I kind of think of it as where we have all speech disorders all at once, all the time. Well, how do you do that? We need to get better at teaching people how to do that. And so that's what I've kind of been trying to do. And we can use other systems that are sort of AAC, well, that are AAC, just kind of a, they're now using kind of high tech, low tech differentiation, but things like reading. These children happen to learn to read quite easily. Letters and words that may or letters that make up words, they catch on quickly to these for the most part. Some you? of them. Yeah. Yeah. Can we yeah use, I've had them. Yeah. Can yeah. we use pacing boards? Can we use the reading ability? Can we use even some picture representations within speech so that we can really? help that that memory piece right so how many words am i supposed to say okay that executive functioning piece that tells me okay i'm supposed to answer a question right here so all of that's going on in the background but how are we how are we supposed to improve speech clarity and then that's kind of where the lsvt piece came in for me was high 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 or extreme speech practice works it works if i say it over and over and over and over and over again my speech gets better. Even if it's divorced from complete context, it does seem to generalize somewhat if we keep yeah. doing yeah. it.
0: Well, and there's, and, and that is something that's, you know, that we've known for a while, it's called motor patterning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's, that's what happens. You know, if a person is trying to learn to print their name, you know, or right. draw a straight line, <laughs> yes, you right. know, or throw a ball. Same I mean, thing. you know, it's all motor patterning, and it's and it's through repetition. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, that's that's very well known. But yeah, sometimes we quotes drop the ball. <laughs> yeah, let's get into some some real practical aspects here. Talk with me about how the dysarthria can impact the speech clarity and how to target the, the improvement through voice and fluency and working memory and, and that kind of thing. I mean, you've got a lot to address. right? And, and certainly, even if you'd hit just a couple of those things, you know, I think we're yes. better off than just parking the kid with a device, which I'm not saying I'm not anti-device but I want to give them an opportunity, especially during those first seven or eight years. I just, you know, and how can we make sure, how can we integrate
1: that speech practice with device use?
0: There you go. Yeah. Okay. So
1: I'm not saying they don't work, Yeah. but yeah. Okay. So how do we do both at the exact same time? Okay. All right. So it's kind of the same thing, right? It's that met that practice over and over and over again but what are the other elements that make this different than the other kid who has a device that doesn't have Down well he may not have dysarthria right that kind of we have all sorts of definitions and people get really picky so I try not to use them but basically it's not strength and it's not tone but it's a weakness right so everything's kind of slow endurance maybe yeah so agility precision and endurance are the three that i point to so that's that's for the oral movement right so are we how long can i say this before i fall apart that endurance piece but also the agility how quickly can i go between syllables how quickly can i say this how good am i at saying each sound right and Mm -hmm. historically what do we do we pick it all apart okay well he's six years old, he should have an S or an R or because they've changed all those numbers now. But first of all, they're not based on solder with Down syndrome. But if you think about it, really, are those sounds going to clear up speech or not? Well, I'm going to say or not, because that's what we're doing. And that's what we've done. We've said, okay, we're going to work on this sound right here. And that'll clear it all up. But it never does. Why? Because we don't speak in sounds, we speak in emotions, if you will. Hmm. Prosody, rhythm, its changes in our voice. If you listen to people with Down syndrome speak, a lot of that's missing. It's very kind of robotic, or because of that dysarthric piece. It's very kind of you know. I can kind of. I'm closing off my nasal I know, passage. I know. I am pretending my ears <laughs> are plugged. I'm not moving yep. my oral articulators, and I have an odd resonance because my palate is extremely high in my mouth, and so I you know, don't. Kind of like, yeah. And so it gets less precise because of those things. Now we can't fix those things. Someone can. And we can't, but if we only attack the sounds, we're going to fail. They might get it in a sentence. You might be able to go from the word level to the sentence level, but it won't transfer right outside of that room okay. usually, right? So how do you pick and choose which one is the one to use to improve speech? Well, it has to be kind of the whole system. So stare at the child, <laughs> listen, see what they're capable of. See if you need to reduce complexity. And then figure it out based on knowing why they sound that way and what can we do to do we slow them down. So maybe slowing them downward. We have to kind of get used to that rhythm, a different rhythm than the fast one that they like. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of LSVT, this was very interesting to me, they're, the only cue, there's two cues. One is say it louder. And two is do it like I do. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have motor issues and reduced short-term memory, the ability to remember something for a short amount of time. MLU is harder. (laughs) And you need very simple directions or something that you can do that's simple to make speech easy. So talking louder tends to do that. So that was kind of nice, right? If I simply say, my name is Jennifer, I suddenly slow my rate of speech. And each sound is more distinct. And we've known this within fluency, right? If we sing, if we change prosody, if we change the force in which we speak, Mm -hmm. things kind of clear up. So, Mm -hmm. gosh, that's a really nice match. Because I match what they're good at with what they're not good at. Mm -hmm. And that might be something that works better than just that sound. Now, it's not to say that you're never going to pick on a sound because, you know, we need them. But if a child says, throw the ball, you're probably going to know what they said right there. Throw the ball. Do we need to work on that L in the final position to have speech that's clear? Probably not. So those old techniques of making sure that sounds are, are perfect in the initial, medial, and final positions it's kind of a waste of time. It's good to know developmentally, but really kind of what can we do functionally? And this is kind of a not great answer, especially for a new therapist, but okay, well just tell me how to know. How intelligible are they? So intelligibility ratings, and then we need to steal stuff. We need to steal what we know from stuttering. We need to steal what we know from apraxia. We need to steal what we know from childhood learning. Right, and so I've, that's what I've kind of tried to do. When there isn't much out there, we have to have that curiosity to find it, and you might find it in strange places, as such as we have done with autism, for example, where we've you know we've really had to figure this group out really quickly. And so, with that mentality, can we do the same here? Can we help this child do both? How do we use the? Okay, here we have the device, and we're doing it this way. And then knowing the little intricacies of what people with downstream can and can't do well. So, for example, grammar is a big issue. Their vocabulary, the ability to use or learn new vocabulary is high. They love new words and fun words. I forget. I was with somebody today, and it was a Mesopotamia. It was word <laughs> that came in, and she can say it perfectly. Are you serious? Octopus, rhinoceros. No. Um, but very simple <laughs> words are hard. Oh, so gosh, what is that, right? Wow. That's fun. That's that music piece that I yeah. love, right? You bring that in there. But yeah, what sign language go. and device use also do is they take out grammar, mm-hmm. right? It's just nouns. It's just verbs. Um, and so when we go to speak, we're confused by we're seeing this telegraphic speech. Mom, fall now. That's kind of what we're getting because oh, that's it really? what we taught. That's oh, what gotta... sign language does. That's, that's what pictures do. Okay. And so how, if we know that, then we need to make sure that we fill the gaps, throw the ball, right? We're not right. going to just use those in speech. And then that's all tied back to that ability to have rhythm and prosody when you speak. Because what did we do even when you know, praxis was kind of new to us in childhood, proxy of speech was let's break it apart. We can say everything And then we'll shove it back together at the end. And it's that shoving back together at the end that was kind of hard. And so now we're kind of changing our tune there and saying, well, maybe we just need to make them shorter and try to keep that prosody there. So as homework, go out and listen to people with Down syndrome, YouTube or wherever, and really listen to what's making their speech different. Because there is a difference and they have a sound. What is it? It's kind of this mixture between someone who can't hear, so how a, like deaf speech, right? mixed with somebody with, maybe who's had a stroke. So that kind of that dysarthria or
0: that right. difference in, it, in anatomy, right? The slurring type that's of impre- what it sounds, imprecision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the, it's what the do we know tonal piece. Right. Yeah. Muscular. Yeah.
1: What do we do for those people in those situations? Can I bring that in and maybe it'll work here. And so that's kind of where I spend a lot of my time, but also knowing that visual, aspects of Down syndrome are extremely important. They learn visually. So that's also why AAC is used, right? Because if they can see it, they can do it. But maybe a visual schedule or reading a sentence, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's enough. Maybe we don't have to go further. And so I've had a case recently with a child who was having kind of a regressive, she has Down syndrome, but also autism. And was having trouble just doing normal routines again. One of the recommendations from another provider was to go back to tons of visual schedules, only pictures, doing it this way and this way and this way. And it still wasn't working. You just kind of had to sit back and go, okay, well, what was, well, speech. I would tell her what to do and she would do it. Well, mom stopped doing that because we were now using pictures. And so she shut off that speech piece to be able to reference the pictures and have Mm. repetition in that area. And I said, well, gosh, let's just, go let's just try to do what we were doing before. And it worked. And so and I'll put it in the handout, but I have some pictures of her, the stuff that she does. And it was words. So for example, on the refrigerator, she would just, if mom wasn't home, just dad was there, she would just go to the refrigerator and say eat. Ah. She wouldn't say what, but when he gave it to her, she would refuse it, right? Because she didn't get to choose it. So mom was like, fine, <laughs> she's hilarious. And so she wrote the names of food on the fridge. Okay. Now she goes to the fridge. She can read and says what's on there. And then mom reminds her to use a sentence. Oh, I want macaroni and cheese. Oh, okay. You want macaroni and cheese. Yes. And it started to clear everything up again.
0: Nice. Nice. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Simple, 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 but you processed it through. Yes. So I love that. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, tell us some more. <laughs> We're almost <laughs> out of time, but yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I like, could listen to, to some more. Yeah, I know. Oh. I know. We've got about maybe four minutes, and then I need to sort of wrap up here with this other stuff. But yeah, I hate to just stop you mid practicality. Yeah, give us a little bit more.
1: It's funny that she's just on my mind today. But yeah. with that same child in the words, she <laughs> said it was really hard. It's kind of AC related too, to get everyone in the house to help her go up and down the stairs the same way, right? So everybody's using a different way of helping her, whether they're going under her armpits, because going alternating steps up and down steps, stairs is difficult Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and so they go to the OT and the PT sessions, this is how it's supposed to be done. But when mom's not home, dad's doing it this way. ABA is doing it this way. And so finally, mom just wrote down the instructions. I think it was three or four on a piece of paper and taped it to the wall by the stairs. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, what happened? Everybody started to do it the same way. And the client, the child, was also reading it. So, you know what? Soon she didn't need somebody to hold her hand or her armpits. She would remember, oh, yeah, that's how I do this. So, mom, hello. Yeah. Hello. Okay. Yeah. In her room. Oh, you know, you got to pick them up and put them, you know, pick it up, put it away. was, you know, and I'm done. Except there's 10 more items. And so how can we use what they're good at, that visual piece, and then kind of figure out where it works? But do we have to go further with pictures and output?
0: Mm -hmm. I don't
1: know. I don't Mm -hmm. for, well, I know my opinion for this child is, I don't think so. Her speech kind of comes and goes based on how well she feels. Or right now she has a palatal expander, which is kind of throwing everything off, but will eventually help, right? But all these things are going on all the time. But if she stops and uses the techniques we have figured out together, she's intelligible. And so I think we have to stop being scared of working on speech. And we must assume that they can do it. And we say this, it's the PC thing to say. But if we really mean that inclusion is inclusion and that we want these children to be treated like other children, we mm-hmm. have to have the faith that if we do the work, they can be clear speakers. And they can. I did a podcast for someone else with, and you've ever heard of the Improveneers, it's a improv group for people with Down syndrome, teenagers mm-hmm. and adults. And why is that working? Why is improv working better than anything we have done? Because improv and acting is constant speech practice. It's constant voice projection. If you're in front of us in an audience, right? Or even if you're on a podcast, you're going to have that ability to use your voice a lot. And Mm -hmm. it helps. And Mm -hmm. so you can have it, even if you go to YouTube and go to Improvineers, the Improvineers, you can hear adults with clear Mm -hmm. speech. It's possible. And we just have to have that faith that they can do it. And that we can be a little curious and innovative ourselves to not only have a couple options. But I also know that therapists are way overworked and stressed. But I think there's a place for all of these things. And why can't we have, we need to start also challenging insurance companies. (laughs) Now that I'm treating more adults too. Okay, well, they got better this last three months when I have to do my reevaluation. So they want to give me less therapy, not more. But if we know that the whole reason speech probably isn't great is they never had enough therapy in the beginning and they're not getting enough right now. How do we get enough? Multiple therapists is one option. So we have a therapist for AAC. We have a therapist for speech clarity, right? We have an ABA therapist for behavior. We need to start to rely on each other's specialties also. But there is this huge kind of thought process even within parent groups that you just need one it's going to be okay it doesn't matter what they do just get them speech just they'll get it in school they'll get it in early intervention that's not enough they need much more than we're giving them and if we can do that I'm pretty sure we're going to see speech clarity improve for the entire population and we must be able to have that research right to support that and go to insurance companies which I do so I'm denied all the time, mm-hmm. but I kind of lay out the research. Look, we're, this is the list of things I'm working on with this child. Every time it's 15 items or more. How can I do that one hour a week? I can't. So we either need more sessions or we need to find a way so that they can have other types of speech therapy and saying yeah. that makes me nervous. And <laughs> that's because a huge hurdle. Yeah, it is. Yeah, huge. It is, but I mean, it
0: doesn't mean it shouldn't be fought. Yeah, there you go. I mean... Yeah, you are out there pushing down those mountains. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is a huge mountain. I mean, anything that, that has really not with... needing to be popular. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter as long as you help your kids, right? Your clients. I mean, isn't that what we're here for? Technically, yes. Ah, uh, Jennifer, girl. Yeah, I want to just keep up with you and see what mountains you start knocking down next time. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for your dedication to our field Thank and you. all that you're doing, and that you're stepping out and locking the the system here with AAC <sighs> and with insurance. You chose two really significant mountains there to try and <laughs> and, and <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, but I probably I'd, need
1: therapy. Though.
0: <laughs> you might <laughs> after you get done with all this. Well, no, yep. I admire you for doing it. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Your ideas and your insights are very helpful. Thanks for all that. So in closing, I want to thank all of you for being here, for tuning in, and for continuing to get the word out about the SpeechLink podcast, where you learn as you did tonight, practical information, while you earn CEUs. And in a very few days, you'll be able to access this course through speechtherapypd.com, and you can watch it again if you want. And if you so desire, access the audio-only version on all the popular podcast apps like Apple Podcast, TuneIn, Podbean, et cetera, et cetera. And I really want to thank you because I appreciate your supportive comments about all of that and your good reviews. So thank you. Thank you. Also, if you're planning ahead, next month's speech link will be a tribute and best of episode by my good friend and colleague, Lorraine Maida. You may or may not know her, but she recently passed away. I mean, like in the last couple of days here. I just loved Lorraine and she was an amazing person, just a character full of energy and joy and just a terrific therapist, always enjoyed her so much. We kind of traveled and did seminars together and so on. And she did a podcast and we're going to resurrect that podcast so that you can hear it next time. So when you tune in Thursday, January 12, 2023 at seven o'clock PM Eastern time you'll get to hear a very special episode by Lorraine called Adapting Children's Literature to Encourage Oral Narrative Skills Through Developmental Levels of Storytelling. And she was really good at all that. So I hope that you can attend. Also, I hope that you know just how much you are appreciated. Thank you so much for all that you do for your therapy kids. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be a part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to SpeechTherapyPD.com. And for everything else, visit CharBochart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time.